Morning, Union Grove. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I'm just going to do that. I get to play peekaboo with that. So, uh, this morning, uh, I'm excited to be up here again. Uh, and I wanted to share with you from, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, from my schooling. So, I've been studying a lot. Uh, and uh, you should all thank my wife uh, for her wisdom. Because uh, I've been studying a lot, and I had like a whole bunch of stuff I was going to try to pack in today, and, and, and Tabitha's like, they're going to get hungry around 3 o'clock. Maybe you should <laughs> take some of that out of there. So, <clears throat> breach, right? There we go. That's what I like to hear. So, um, so I wanted to talk to you today. So, one of my big research papers I was working on is uh, that troublesome passage in James 2 about faith and works. And uh, I wanted to talk today about faith, right? Um, as I've been schooling, um, it's been really neat to watch God work in my life and to see him growing my faith and to see what he's doing with my faith and, what, and, and really what it means to trust in him, what it means to trust being in Christ and, and, and seeing what he can do through me. Not because of me, but because of him through me and, and watching him uh, run an amazing schedule that... I don't know how I would keep um, without him. So be- between work and being a dad and a husband um, and schooling and then preparing for ministry, and um, I-, I don't want to boast on myself, and-, and this is not what I'm going for. Uh, there's times where I'm like more like panicking, uh, Lord, how am I going to get this paper done on time? And Lord, man, my kids really need some dad time. And Lord, my wife needs some me time. And Lord... <laughs> I need some me time, and uh, and it's been watch. It's been fun to watch him do that. And uh, so, so today, um, yeah. So today we're going to look at faith, and we're going to look at trust. And I, and I want us to talk about. Uh, I want you to think about your faith and where it is today. And I want you to ask Jesus to come to you, and and help you understand your faith in Him and trust in Him more. And so that's what we're going to look today, right? So, tis so sweet. Uh, one of the things is I do this, I, I take notes of what I like uh, when I see other men preach and share, and one other thing as I like is when men share uh, hymns, hymns that mean a lot to them and important to them, and I love sometimes when they try to sing, and especially uh, if they're like me and they're kind of tone deaf and pitchy, but Tis So Sweet is one of my favorite songs. Uh, Tis So Sweet to trust in Jesus, right? Just to take him at his word, um, just to rest in his promise, uh, just know, thus saith the Lord, and then I love the refrain. The refrain is really powerful. Um, uh, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. I always turn it into you. I turn my, when I sing into prayers. Um, and, and how I've proved you o'er and o'er. And I've watched God bring me to the finish line over and over again. And uh, Jesus, right? Precious Jesus. And then I love that last, that last line in the refrain. Oh, for grace to trust you more. Right, and that's the key. It's grace to trust him more, right? And 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 I love the fact that the hymnist who's already singing about how sweet it is to trust in Jesus, how to know and take confidence, and thus says the Lord, they're still asking for grace to trust him more, right? And so I know in today's today, man, like I don't know who I can't talk to and, and hear how work is upside down 
and their place of employment where they're providing for families and loved ones and how, how things are crazy and how there's extra hours and, and short-staffed and, and management's making choices and, and it seems crazy. And then not on top of that, you go out and inflation's at record highs and when you go to buy the milk and eggs and you're like, I don't, I don't remember it costing that much. I remember as a little kid watching my dad complain about the price of eggs and milk going, what are you doing, Dad? And I'm like looking at my kids and I'm like, yeah, you'll get it one day too, right? And, uh, and uh, it's fun, but, uh, and like I said, in my busy schedule, there's times in there where I just have to pause and I have to say, Lord, Lord, I know you can do this, right? And I need the grace right now to trust you more. And so um, with that, I want to talk about faith. So I'm going to open up in prayer and when I open up in prayer, I want you to pray along with me about your faith and ask God to come and help you understand your faith and see where your faith needs to grow. So uh, let's do that. Heavenly Father, oh, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being our good, good. Heavenly Father that loves us so much. You are the God of the universe. You created everything. And everything is for your glory. And you sent your son to die for us because you love us, Lord. And that is what we need to trust in. And we need to trust in that, Lord. And Lord, sometimes it's hard and it's tough. And Lord, I just pray that you do as you do. Work in our hearts. Give us the grace, Lord, that we need to trust you more. And, and Lord, I just pray that you use this vessel to glorify you because you are good, and you are worthy, and I pray this in your name. So, faith. So, one of the things when, um, magic. There we go. Oh, too far. Oh, we're having fun with a clicker. Lord, let this work. Um, so, first thing when you're going to talk about faith, and you're going to talk about James, one of the fun things about James in that passage is faith. he talks about faith and works, you got to define faith. If you don't find faith, you can go astray. It's really easy. Like, uh, and I'll talk a little bit more of this as we get into the James passage. We're going to start in Hebrews 11.1, 1, uh, where faith is described. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And when the word substance there is hypostasis, it means trust or confidence, right? It's not substance like some kind of essence, right? Like if I had the faith to move a mountain, it's not about some kind of ooey-gooeyness coming out of you like, like some kind of magical fireball. It's not that. It's faith. It's trust, trusting in things hoped for. And those things that are hoped for are the promises of God, right? I, I love it. Like for an example, um, uh, when I first got saved, my wife, she's a type 1 diabetic, and, and, uh, and I remember uh, another brother uh, informing her that if she had enough faith, she could be healed, right? Um, if you scoff at that, you do well. Um, if that angers you, you do well, because that's not what faith is, right? So um, faith is actually trusting, right? So my wife, I remember the doctors looking at her face when we came in, and she was pregnant with child number five. You know, they want to inform her that you, you know you're diabetic, and, and that's, that's a lot of children. And, uh, and, and my wife is not ignorant. She knows that. But her faith says children are a blessing, and God can sustain her. 
And God did. And we have five beautiful little children. And they are adorable. And if you don't think so, we'll have to talk. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and so, and I think more importantly than that, her faith, it, it amazes me because even sweeter than that, like, she is a type 1 diabetic, and it's not fun. I watch her, and I get amazed by all the things she deals with on a daily life. Like, I hate needles, and it's just every day. She's, she's living with a needle inside her. And, and, and in her faith, she still trusts that God is good, right? And, and that God, God has got a plan and she has a hope. And, the, and the, one of the things she's hoping for is the hope of heaven. You know? and, I, and I love the thought of the rapture because when we're caught up with all our loved ones from the past, we're caught up with the Lord in the air, in the clouds, to be with him forever. And that's a joyful thought. But, and I love what Corinthians talks about it too because Corinthians really highlights the hope. Right? We're going to put off this mortal, broken body. And we're going to put on the new. There should have been an Amen. <laughs> And on top of that, though, her faith doesn't just stop there about having uh, the glorified body that's going to be free of diabetes. Her, she's excited, too, because when you do that, it also says that we're going to put off the corruptible for the incorruptible. The sin nature is going to be gone. There's going to be no more sin. And, and, and that's her hope, too. What a sweet faith. And it's trusting in those promises, right? It's not the faith that, you know, God's going to put her pancreas in there and now she's a lesser Christian because she doesn't have enough faith that God won't heal her. No, 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 no. That is not, that is not faith. And so don't be mistaken. Um, faith also is, I have up there the word send it. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this term, but it's what men do when they kind of half put a project together and they're not fully sure if it's going to work or not and they say, send it. <laughs> And they watch the results. And usually if you watch videos, they're, uh, they're uh, quite funny because the results are bad. But it's not that either. It's not like, it's not like expecting good things because I want good things to happen because I believe good things will happen. That's, that's, that's not faith, right? There's a, there's a substance of the faith. There's things that are hoped for. There's things that we trust in, in faith, right? And so... It, it's not some ooey essence. It's not some blind faith, blind hope. There's promises, and it's trusting those promises, and more importantly, it's trusting those promises of our good and great God who is the creator of everything, right? The one that made us in his image. So uh, let's get in that James passage. And so this is a confusing part. I love this, right? Uh, does faith save? James 2.14. So we're going to start through 14. We're going to move on down to the, uh, to the, end, of the uh, end of the chapter there. Uh, what does it profit, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Can faith save him, right? So um, let, I want everybody to be on the same page here, right? Because uh, what, what kind of fun is when we hear the word save, we think about salvation, as we should. And if you're here and you don't understand that, the first thing I want to say is, Salvation is of the Lord, right? And, and trusting in those promises. And the one thing that where faith starts and where your journey needs to start is with trusting that Christ is your personal Savior, right? Um, we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And the problem is, is when you stand before the holy and righteous God, 
You stand separated because of your sin. Your good works don't matter. If, you, if you're on trial for murder, it doesn't matter if the person you murdered, you bought them lunch every day for the last year. You murdered them, you murdered them, and that's what you're on trial for. You're not on trial for murder. You're not on trial because how nice you were, what kind of charities you worked for, how much money you donated to certain causes. You're on trial for murder. And when you're on trial for murder, if you murdered them, you're going to go to jail. And that's the thing. And so there's consequences for our sins. Wages of sin is death. And that's eternal lake of fire. And that, man, that is heart-wrenching. But that's where our faith starts, right? Our faith looks to Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sin. And that's why he died on the cross, was to close that gap. So he paid the penalty for our sin because our sin deserves judgment, but he bore the wrath and he died. And he died for us so that we can have the hope of heaven. And so, right, we're saved in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we are saved by grace through faith. It's not, it's not of ourselves, but the gift of God. And that gift is Jesus' death on the cross. He buried and he rose again and he's alive in heaven. And that's how you know that what he did was effective for you. And that's how you can trust that Christ died for you. And then once you put your faith into Christ, you have heaven. You're counted righteous before God because you get Jesus' righteousness. That's a beautiful thought. And I want you to start there. If you haven't come to saving faith yet, this whole passage is going to be even more confusing because it's confusing enough for those that have made the choice to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So that's the first thing about your faith. is 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 It's got an object, right? So, um, and that's a fun thing because I ask, can faith save them? It's kind of interesting because when you think about that question, is it the faith that saves If we read Ephesians 8 and 9, no. For by grace you are saved. That's by God's grace. It's by what he did. It's not about what we did. We attain that that gift through faith. It's trusting that, right? It's not the faith that saves. It's the object of that faith that saves. And it's believing that Christ died for you because you deserved hell. That's what saves and 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 it's believing in christ the object right it's not just the faith that saves and so i think people get kind of confused here because all of a sudden they think about can faith save them as in salvation and no no because james is clearly talking to brethren when he's writing these scriptures and i I don't think we're on that path i don't think we are and i'll continue on and and i'll back that up so then what is he talking about, right? Well, if we step back in James and you go to chapter 1, there's a couple other verses that I really want to highlight in there. And, this is a, and, and so 2.14 gets linked to 121. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, right? So um, <clears throat> with that, the implanted word, it's this implication. It's already in there. It's already in there. You've already received the word. You've already received the promise of God. And, uh, and, and, and that's going to help save your soul. And I think when he's saying you're saved, it's more deliverance. We're not talking soteriology and salvation in heaven. We're talking deliverance, right? Because uh, uh, 118, I, this is also kind of 118, he, he refers to this, this 
Of his own will, he brought us forth. He, being God, brought us forth, us believers, forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, right? James is talking to people that are going to be the first fruits of God. You're, you're already in the body, and you're already believing. But the question is, and James is going to ask, what, what is your faith doing? What, what are you doing with your faith, Right? And this is why I think he means deliverance, because when he gets a, when we're backing up a little bit further, in James 1.15, he talks about desires. And desires, when they conceive, they give birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, bring forth death. That's, I think, what he's talking about, is being saved from that, right? So many people that have grown up in the church, you probably all have numerous stories of people that you've known that have walked away from the faith. And we can speculate about whether they're going to be in heaven or not. But I can tell you this much. Most of you have stories of how their choices harm them and hurt them and how it breaks your heart and how you would wish they would return to the fold and come back to the one that loves them beyond their comprehension. And so that's what I think James is talking about here when he talks about can faith save him. Because if you're walking away, your faith is not doing anything, right? So does faith work? Uh, I like James because he carries on. We're going to go back to chapter 2 and move on in verse 15. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. I like that. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. That's the first part of 18. I think it should have been, uh, I think they divide that verse up a little bit differently. Um, but yeah, so, so what James is clearly saying here, your faith should lead to actions, right? Your faith should motivate you. Your faith should have you doing good works. If you believe that God saved you, it, it, part of, and and, I, and it's not understanding just what you're saved from, but what you're saved to. Because when you're saved, you're putting a right standing with God. You know, the, the creator of the universe, you can now come before. The one that hears our prayers, the one that covets our prayers, the one that wants to spend time with us, the one that sent his son to die with us, die for us so that he could have eternity future with us wants that relationship with you. And, and, and that's what you're being saved to, is being in the right standing with God to be able to enjoy God. And, and, and that, man, oh man, that faith, that confidence in God, knowing that God's got you, should lead to fruit. It should. It should. And, and I like this, because James says, what does it profit, right? Because if you tell somebody, you know, be warmed and filled, they're going to be cold and hungry. And it's not going to help. And then I also like this too, because, uh, you know, your faith, he says it's dead, right? He's talking useless, like, like dead, like a lifeless body, necros. And then that's what it means, right? When your corpse is there on the ground, it ain't doing anything. Uh, you're going to be in the presence of Jesus if you trust him as a Savior, which is a glorious thought, but the, the flesh bag is kind of going to be there. And then, uh, but, and I like this too, because like, let's say you say to that person, go away, be warm, be filled, and uh, the neighbor who's unsaved sees them, brings them in, gives them food and shelter, and now he is warm, and now he is fed, right? 
So the neighbor's going to come back to you, and he's going to say, hey, you can have your faith. I got my works. Your faith seems kind of uh, useless, right? And you're going to boast him about Christ, right? That's a, that's, a, that's a convicting thought there. So continuing the thought of, of does faith works, because then James, I love it because James continues on. He's like, show me your faith without your works. Can't, right? I know, it's kind of fun. And, that, and, I, and I love the gospel inquisition. Well, if you did this, you, ooh, I don't know if you're really saved. How do you do that and say you're saved, right? And, and the gospel inquisition continues on. And, and, uh, and sometimes it can work the other way. Oh, that person's got to be saved. Look at all those good works. And, uh, you know, you have no idea. That's between God and them. But show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Right? Because your faith is going to change your good works too. Your faith isn't going to be about how good you are and how great of a donor you are and how wonderful you are. It's going to be about how good God is and how God has enabled you and how God has given you the blessing to bless others. And uh, yeah, and your faith is going to be evident and your works are going to be different. And that's why James says, I will show you my faith by my works. And I like this, this nice rebuke. You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. Right? Believing in God, it's what you believe about God, right? Again, it's the object of your faith and what you believe about that and what you're trusting in and your hope of heaven and how you're trusting God, right? Believing and saying, well, I believe in God, I think I'm fine. God says you're not. You have a sin problem that needs to get fixed. And that's why he sent his son, so that he could fix it, because he loves you. That's, I just, right? Because when I look back at my life, oh, man, man, there's times I was not lovely, according to God's standards. I was far from it. So, James carries on, and he says, dead faith won't you, right? But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see the faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. I love this because uh, if you don't know, we're going we're gonna to tromp through Genesis 12 through 22, and we're going to look at Abraham's faith journey because he is the father of faith. And, and James uses Abraham for a reason, multiple reasons. But the other confusing part here is the term justification, right? So, so sometimes people say justified, and they think again about salvation because the term justified means being right, right before God. You are justified. You are declared not guilty, Right? It's kind of interesting because you're still a sinner with the ability to sin after you get saved, but your sin isn't accounted to you. It's not that you're just pardoned, right? Because pardon still says you are guilty. You're just being pardoned. It's more than just being forgiven. It's being justified. You're being declared by God innocent. And that's a beautiful thing because if God's doing the declaring, you ain't doing nothing but the receiving. 
Because again, it's by God. And you're going to trust God. You're, that's why it's all about faith and trusting Christ. And that's why here when he says justified by works, no, you're not justified by your works before God. You're not going to go to him and talk about it. There's the, the passage that causes a lot of confusion and heartache where uh, people say, but Lord, I prophesied in your name. I taught in your name. I performed miracles in your name. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. It causes pain and heartache because people kind of like are worried that they're, they're, they're going to be cast aside from God and God's going to say that to them. But I'm like, I'll always ask them, but is that going to be your answer when you stand before the judge? Are you going to say, look at all the good I did in your name? Or is your answer going to be like, I don't deserve your heaven, but because of Jesus, because of him and what he did for me, you said I could have it, Right? And that's a beautiful thing. So we're going to take and jump into Abraham because Abraham is a great example of faith, right? And and meeting, because like God meets us where our faith is. If you're pursuing God, he's going to come into your faith and he's going to help your faith grow. And I love this too, because we need to understand something. When Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac, it is well after he believed God. So we're going to take a look at the events, right? So in Abraham chapter 12 of Genesis... I'm going to just kind of go through a couple verses. If you want to try to keep up, good luck. Let me know how you do. So Abraham, he's the father of our faith. He's the example of our faith. And we get to watch Abraham stumble through his faith. And I love reading through Genesis and about Abraham. Because Abraham was far from a perfect man, even from the get-go. So in chapter 12, we get this great call of Abraham. He's living in Ur, and he's told to go to the promised land. And that's why it's called the promised land, because God promises it to him. So if you know this, great. If you don't, I'm going to try to give you a brief history lesson. So Abraham leaves his home, travels a long way, goes with his wife and his uh, nephew Lot, and they come to the promised land that God, and he, and he follows, right? 12.4. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. This great faith. God appears to him, speaks to him, and says, hey, I'm going to promise you some land, some seed, not seed like for planting in the land, but like descendants, and blessings, right? There's three promises, and we believe in those three promises, and that affects our eschatology as well, which uh, Pastor will gladly help us understand the land, seed, and blessing, what that means for us. But so he, he gets the promised land, and he's promised he's going to have descendants, it's numerous, this is the sand on the seashore, and all these blessings, and he goes, and he follows, and it's this great step of faith. And then shortly after that, six verses later, We read, now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there. There's famine in the land, his promised land, the land that God led him to. It's like, ah, this ain't so good. I'm out. And he leaves, and he goes down to Egypt. And if you don't know this story, when he gets down to Egypt, he looks at his beautiful wife. I understand what he's thinking. And he says, huh. Lady, when the king sees you, he's going to kill me if he knows you're my wife because he's going to want you for your bride. And so Abraham says, you know what? We're going to tell him a little white lie, kind of deceive him, and we're going to say that, you know, you're my sister. This way he won't kill me. And he kind of stretches the truth, right? So God has promised him descendants, and he hasn't had a child yet with his wife. And so what does he do? He sends his wife into another man to save his own life. Does that sound like faith? No. That, sound, that sounds like flesh, right? That's, that's a F minus on the faith test there, Abraham. And so what I love too is when you read that story though, God steps in, saves the day. All of a sudden there's a plague on Pharaoh. 
And Pharaoh takes his wife and gives them to him and, and says, what are you doing to me, brother? Why did you do this to me? Why did you lie? Well, it's amazing. God steps in and saves the day. God doesn't take Abraham aside and say, hey, knucklehead, what are you doing? That's not what I told you. God just fixes it, and he moves forward. And what I love is um, Abraham in his response, right? And the next chapter because Abraham, when he goes back up to the land, him and his, his nephew Lot, they have a bunch of wealth. And when they get back to the land, there's fighting between his servants and, and Lot's servants, and it's not good. And we get this, we see Abraham's, this, this, this wonderful statement, Genesis 13, 8, 9. So Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren, right? I love that. And that's how it should be in the church. We're brethren. There shouldn't be strife, and we should not. We should do what we have to to make sure that the strife is crushed and squelched. Is it not whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right, or if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. Abraham's passing the taste. It's all my promised land. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for me. And he lets the younger man pick. And Lot, responding out of flesh, looks to the better land. And picks the better land, which, if you read, you'll find out wasn't the better land. But Abraham is showing some faith again. So God delivers him, protects him in Egypt, brings him back to the land, wealthier than he was when he left, and he's starting to grow in his faith. And in Genesis 14, right? Um, so Lot chooses the wrong side. Kings come to make war. Lot gets captive. Abraham goes after him, saves him, brings him back. And then the king of Sodom was one of the towns by where Lot lives, and Lot was. And, and Sodom says, hey, you know what? Uh, I want to give you a bunch of stuff. This should be your spoil. And Abraham says to him, and I love this in, in chapter 14, verses 22 and 23. But Abraham said, but Abram, it's just Abram at this point, said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. I love it. He glorifies God to Sodom and says, your goods, I don't want them. I don't want you taking credit for what God is doing. And we get to see this resounding answer of faith and Abraham growing in his faith. And we see this maturing faith. I love it. And then we come to chapter 15, where that quote is, the chapter 15, verse 6, where the quote is, where you find it a bunch in the New Testament about how Abraham believed and it was accounted to him righteousness. But it starts off like this. Before we got there, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Don't miss that. I love that. Right? You, when you get saved and you trust in Christ, God is your exceedingly great reward to enjoy him in his presence, to come before him freely whenever you want, in the good times, in the bad times, to enjoy him and his presence, right? He is our great reward, our shield. And I love Abraham or Abram and his response. Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Right? He's like, oh, that's nice. That sounds wonderful. That sounds beautiful that you're my great reward. Except for, uh, you know, you promised me some children, 
and uh, ain't got none yet. When I'm looking around who's going to inherit all my fortune, it's going to be the servant. And uh, um, I love it because Abram just says to him, look, you've given me no offspring. <laughs> He's very straightforward with God, and I love it because God's response is sweet. And then we get 15, 4 to 6. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Thus one shall not be your heir. Thus this one shall not be your heir. But one who will come from your body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look, now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and, it, and he accounted it to him for righteousness, right? Abraham was declared righteous, justified before God because he believed in the promises of God. And Abraham and his faith, as we watch his faith grow, he's pursuing the promises of God. Even as he's calling out God for not having children, it's about, hey, you made this promise to me, and it's about wanting that promise and believing in the promises that God made to him. And here we get to see that it was accounted to him for righteousness. It's belief. It's belief, your faith and trust. It's not your works. And then chapter 15, if you read the rest of 15, God does this beautiful act in this vision of a covenant and he holds himself to his promises and Abram has nothing to do with it. And it's a beautiful chapter about faith and God and what he's doing for us. And what I love is then right after this beautiful covenant, what's recorded next in scriptures, chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had been an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. If you know this story, we know what happens, right? Sarah sends Hagar in to be with Abram so he can have one, right? Because they, they took God very literal. When he said, I'll have one of your body, it must meant your body and not mine. And Sarah said, so take Hagar, and you're going to have yourself a descendant. I don't know if it was like, I'm tired of your whining about no children or what, but it, it, it was like, it was a bad choice, and we know it was a bad choice. And then, man, and, and, and it goes wrong. Right? And when you read this passage, you know what else you don't read? You don't read God stepping in going, Hey, uh, Abraham, you, you know what you just did there? I'm going to give you a glimpse about 4,000 years later. We're going to talk about these two people that fight all the time, promise over the promised land, right? This guy Ishmael, his descendants aren't going to like your descendants, and your descendants are going to enjoy that, you knucklehead. No, you don't read that. You don't read that. No, what do you, you do read? You read that. God's like, you know what, Abraham? I'm going to take care of Ishmael. I'm going to take care of Hagar. I'm going to bless him and make him a mighty nation. And God did. And God did. Right? And as we continue to read on uh, in this, this faith journey of Abram, there's these ups and downs, right? Verse 17, Abraham gets circumcised, and it's an act of faith and a sign of his believing, right? Because, again, like baptism follows your faith. You don't get baptized into the body with water sprinkling on your head. When you get saved, you then get baptized. Like Abraham was accounted to him for righteousness, for believing, and then he got circumcised, which was a sign of his faith after, after the faith was established, right? And that's all baptism is for us today. Baptism is a sign of your faith. It's an outward confession of what God has done in your heart and how you have chosen to trust him as your savior, and that's, first, and that's chapter 17, is this beautiful act of faith. And we see him growing in his faith. 
And then we come back up again to our father in faith in Genesis 20. Um, and, and here we go again. Abraham's going to do it again, except for now it's with his king, Abimelech, king of Gerar. So Abraham's coming up to him, and he says, hey, hey, this is my, uh, uh, she is my sister. Remember that lie? Right? So after he's accounted righteous, we're back to that old lie because he's worried about, again, his flesh and what's going to happen to him. And so he sends in again his wife to another man. And what's even more interesting about this lie is God has already came to Sarai and said, hey, why are you laughing? Don't you believe? You're going to have a child. And then after that, he still sends her into another man. It's like, what are you thinking? Are you trying to mess up God's plan, Abraham? But God said, no, I got a plan. I'm going to work this out. And so then poor Abimelech gets to suffer and has a vision, and God comes to him, and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I, I was acting in integrity. And he's like, that's right. I know you were. So send Sarai back out to Abraham with a bunch of money showing that you didn't touch her. And so Abimelech obeys and, 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 and vindicates Sarai, saying, you know what? I wasn't with her. It's Sarah at this time. He changes her name to Sarah because she's going to be the mother of many nations. And so we see this. We see this. And it's kind of interesting watching Abraham in his faith and these ebbs and flows. And so we finally get to the promise of the descendant in Genesis 21.1. And the Lord visited Sarah, and he said with the Lord, and, excuse me, sorry. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. She had a child, and his name was Isaac. And, and, and then we get to read about, in Genesis 22, about Isaac and Abraham going up on the mount. And in verse 22, 1, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, God is going to test his faith. He's watched his faith come and go, come and go, come and go, ebb and flow, in and out. And he said to him, and then and, and Abraham obeys, obeys. He's finally understanding God can do what he says, and he's trusting him and everything, and he acts in obedience and this is what James was talking about when he said he took Isaac up to sacrifice him. And in verse 12, he's about ready to drop the knife, plunge the knife into his son, and sacrifice him. And he said, don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And it's... It's this wonderful testimony of Abraham's faith maturing and growing because there was multiple mistakes in his faith. There was times when he was acting in faith and times that he wasn't. And um, it's nice to see that. It's nice to see that because that, I think that's true for all of us, right? And that's, that's so today I want you to think about where you are with your faith. Is it maturing? Is it growing? Is it wavering? Do you have faith? Is your faith in Christ for salvation, right? And so James, Abraham, James, and Jesus, right? So summing this up, Abraham's faith led to action. He believed in the promises of God, and he chased after them. Sometimes in error, sometimes 
recklessly, and, and, uh, but he always chased God and his promises, and his faith was in the promises of God. And that led to Abraham and the choices that he made. He wanted those promises. He left home to chase the promises of God. And that was his pursuit. And what I love, too, is when you read about Abraham and his faith, he builds these altars to praise God. And I love it, too, because even when Abraham says in chapter 15, hey, you haven't given me a child, he's comfortable enough with God to talk to God as a friend. Not like he's, he's afraid of the holy and righteous God that's going to smite him if he speaks wrong, but he's, he's open enough to say, God, I, I don't understand. This is your promise. Things are, right's not going right. What's going on, Lord? And that's what James says in 2.22. Do you see that your faith was working together with works, and by works, faith was made perfect? Right? I love in Hebrews 12, when the author of Hebrews encouraged us to run the race. Right? We have this cloud of witnesses that's laid out for us in Hebrews 11. In chapter 12, he turns around and he says to run the race. But when you run the race... He says, run it, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The one whom you trust. So as you're running, keep your eyes on Christ. I can tell you this, when you read of Abraham, when you read of David, when you read these stories, you can see, even Peter, right? When their eyes are on Christ and they're running well. More importantly, you can look through your life when your eyes are on Jesus and you're running well. And you can also look back when your times, your eyes are off Jesus, and you're not, right? And that's the ebb and flow of our faith. And sometimes your faith in God is strong and great and mighty, and you're going to do great things for God. And you're going to enjoy doing great things for God. And sometimes, sometimes your faith is going to wane, right? Your circumstances are going to get loud, and you're going to need grace to trust Him more. There's going to be painful circumstances. And what's amazing is in those moments too, you can do great things for God and you can bolster your faith. And that's why you should count all joy when you have trials because those trials, man, they make your faith, oof, they make it rock hard. Nothing's going to tackle your faith. So, looking on to Jesus, the author of our faith, I'm going to wrap up. So, in closing, so that means I get six more of those, right? Love you, Dad. <laughs> Where are you in your faith today? Are you trusting Christ for salvation? Start there. That's where it starts, right? Have you made him your Savior? Is, is, is your faith for salvation in Christ and Christ alone? You're trusting in him. It's not about you and your works. It's about what he did on the cross. Your works are rubbish. And my works are rubbish. I'm up here not because I'm good. I'm up here because God is good. And I love glorifying our good father. So do you know what you're saved from and what you're saved to, right? Because I know Paul, he'll talk about the carnal man. Uh, Paul talks about it, and he talks about it in Corinthians. I love it. There's, in Galatians, there's these two errors, right? One is uh, to go run around and sin. I'm saved from hell. Uh, 
you know, Paul talks about Romans uh, 6. Where grace abounds, sin abounds more. So, or where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So what, should we continue in sin? <laughs> Certainly not, right? And so, so you got the carnal man that he has to correct in Corinthians, one that's, you know, got their faith but living in sin. And then you got, uh, you got the opposite in Galatians where they turn from the gospel and they go to legalism and they want to go back to the law and they, and they want, they're, they want, they're trying to sanctify themselves, make themselves holy by works of the law. And, and it's like, no, 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 no. Both are mistakes, right? So it's, it's, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of your faith. Yeah. God is the one that is going to do the work of sanctification. He didn't just save you. He's now going to help cleanse you up, especially if you're pursuing him, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and then verse 10. We are his workmanship, created for good works, which he's prepared for us to walk through. He's already got the good works made, and he's working on you, and he needs you just to walk through. I love that. And it's that faith, the trusting in him, that he is working in you, Right? Because I remember when I first got saved, I wanted to get back to the law, and I, I would find certain passages that would just crush me, right? Um, Ephesians, uh, being wise with time, right? Um, time management. Whoo! F minus for this cat. And that verse used to crush me. I hated reading the verse because I felt like it's horrible, ugly, worthless sinner that would never get his act together. Mm. And our good father is like, nope. No, that's not where I want you, Rich. That's not, that's not a profitable man for me. And he's helped me. And now I got a schedule that is full and crazy. And he helps me get stuff done that I never thought I'd be able to get done. So, do you know what you're saved from and what you're saved to, right? Because I think that's the big miss. You get to enjoy God. Are you pursuing the promises of God? Are they a part of your daily life and daily living? Right? I love sharing and witnessing to other people because when I look at them, man, there's destruction everywhere from foolish choices of sin. Um, it's funny. Like, uh, so I, at work, I, I run the driving school. I help gentlemen get CDLs. And when they get CDL, it's a career and it's good money. And, and at the end of class, before graduation, uh, uh, my, my boss, whom I love, he's a good man, um, he comes in and he gives the dad speech. He has financial wisdom and he understands some of these people are coming from lower paying jobs and, and he understands that, you know, they don't know what to do with the money that they get. And usually when they get the money, he always gives what we call the dad speech. He's like, all right, now when you see these big paychecks, let's start off before you even get the big paychecks, put some of that in a 401k and then don't go out and go to the dealership and find the big truck that's up on the rocks looking super cool and buy it. Don't do that because they'll sell it to you. Don't do it, right? <laughs> and we know why. That dealer's going to take you to task, get his money, and then you're going to be in the burden of debt, right? What are you doing with your faith? Are you pursuing God? You're going to get tangled up in sin and feel the burden of the debt of sin because sin, sin demands payment. It doesn't, it doesn't just let you go. I mean, we have grace and forgiveness, but, uh, yeah, sin comes with a cost. And I, and I love that dad's speech. So are you pursuing the promises of God? Is God your shield and your great, ex- exceedingly great reward? You know where you are with God. I don't. So I just want you, I'm going to close in prayer, and I want you to come, and I want you to talk. 
speak to our God. If you don't know what to say, just say anything. Because he wants to hear from you. Because he loves you. So, let's close in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That not only do you want us sin, Lord, but you want us growing closer to you. And I just pray for grace. I pray for grace and understanding and wisdom that you would bless the people in this congregation, for believers everywhere to grow closer to you, to glorify you. Help them understand what their faith is so that they may live it out, chasing those promises, not getting caught up in the entrapment of sin. Because it's so easy, Lord. And you know that. You know that. You're not surprised by our sin. And I'm just so grateful for that, Lord, that I can come to you whenever I stumble and you're ready to pick me up, clean me up, put me on my feet, and get me started over again because you are not going to leave me there. You redeemed me. You bought me with a price, and that was the price of your son's blood. You are not going to let me waddle in the mud. You paid for me, and I am yours, and in that I rejoice. And I just pray others today would take that faith. You would help them have that faith to say that they are yours. And I just pray that you would speak into people's hearts right now. Help them help them accept the work of your son on the cross as their salvation. Help them understand it's not about them, but about you. Oh, great, wonderful God. Thank you for this morning. And I pray this in your name. Amen.